and welcome to another isolated edition of the Bond Daft podcast. Stephen Barry here, joined very patiently by my fellow Bond aficionados after about an hour and a half of technical difficulties. Joined, of course, with Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. Thank you, Gordon. And Steve McCall. I have no idea what day it is or time it is, so I'm going to say good morning, afternoon, evening, and good night. Well covered. I think, I think you got us. Uh, and last and least, Francis Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, yo. And thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Get credit where credit is due. Fran very patiently was able to try and sort out our technical difficulties. And we hopefully are actually recording and not sound uh, like about 14 Daleks in one room having a wee chat. Yep. I, so, I, I think that was that was quite kind there because I don't know if I was really patient. I was starting to to lose my, my professional attitude yeah. as that was going on. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it, there was a couple of words that were uttered at one point that I wouldn't say were the most professional, but uh, we won't be. <laughs> <laughs> so we really kept the swearing to a minimum. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, so we are, of course, uh, still uh, self-isolating like the rest of the world. Uh, COVID-19 still plaguing the, the planet. Very quick catch up on this. How are we doing? Uh, Fran, I think you've been in isolation for nearly a month and <laughs> you mentioned you're kind of starting to lose it a bit. How, how are you feeling? Um, well, I think certainly the uh, this is now, well, tomorrow will be the start of the fourth week that I've been in this flat by myself. Um, the middle of the third week was when I started to um, started to kind of come unstuck, I think, from reality. Slightly, um, I I reckon part of the, I think part of the problem, but we're chatting about it is losing routine. Um, I think as well, when you're stuck inside, you're only really looking at, you're not talking or interacting face to face with any human beings. You haven't seen your family for three weeks. You know what I mean? You can't meet anyone new. You can't do anything. What's within the four walls of your building becomes your reality to a certain extent. And you can, uh, I think all of us, like, we've all got different problems in our lives, you know what I mean? Like, we've all got different things we're stressed about. So you could be stressed about bills, you could be stressed about, like, personal circumstances or maybe falling out with someone or there's various things people worry about. And usually we think about those things before we go to sleep at night because it's quiet and you're you're kind of alone then. So I think that's the hardest part about being in yourself for a long time is that if you live alone, Every minute of every day can become like that. It's always like a long extended, just before you go to sleep, anxiety. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. tough. Um, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, fortunately for you, I, you know, I definitely can empathize on that in, in some respect because, well, in the sense that you're on your own and therefore there's less contact physically with anyone. But I suppose, you know, you have to remember as well that. There is people out there that don't have the internet and don't have a means of mm -hmm. communicating. Like, well, like we are right now. We've just spent an hour and a half uh, talking to each other, and will do for the <laughs> the next couple of hours. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a scary time. I, I've tried to try and be positive in a sense of trying to use the time uh, in ways that is, is going to benefit me and try and not get too stressed about it. But you do have to remember that there's people dying. The NHS is 
really stressed and it is kind of a worrying time. So uh, how, how are you guys, Gordon? Uh, how, how are you doing? Yeah, it's a nasty situation, but yeah, like you, we need to sometimes just look at that big perspective machine in the sky, look at the, the other people who are much worse off than us and just having a really hard time. And at least we're in, you know, like you said, we've got the internet and stuff where I think we've all got TV. We've, we've, we're in a situation where if you can take beauty and something you enjoy and catch up with things that you you need to catch up with in the house. I, I've just been watching loads of movies. Me, me and my brother, you know, obviously you know we're well into the films, not just Bond ones. I actually haven't watched a Bond one out of the four films I've watched the last few days, but it's it's time to get back into the, the Bond circle again. All the Disney Plus just launched, and I feel like that is the perfect time they found for the UK, of course, uh, because I've signed up for it last night and I was just overwhelmed with everything. I was like, oh, I want to watch the Star Wars films and the cartoons and I want to watch Marvel, all these things that I've never thought, not really thought I would ever watch. I've suddenly like got an interest in because I know I have the time. <laughs> uh, Steve, yeah. what about yourself? What about yourself? Um, see, it's not been, I haven't found a huge, because I'm still working, I haven't found the most enormous of differences. Um, obviously, the actual kind of atmosphere is weird stepping outside the one thing i've noticed is the silence i came out of work at about mm. one in the morning earlier this week i just stood in my work car park for about five minutes listening and there was just utter silence i have never i don't think in my life heard that in a city and yeah. it's phenomenal so that uh, much yeah. i'm enjoying it. it's weird seeing nobody outside um it's weird being in an office where there's about a tenth of the usual number of staff, and everyone is now sat for social distancing reasons, sort of two or three desks apart. So I need to either shout to colleagues. My desk is, I'm going in on Monday, and there's been another rejig, and my desk is now the opposite side of the newsroom. So I now need to either <clears throat> shout or email my colleagues if I want anything. Um, so it's the isolation is, even though I'm kind of still going about my own life, it's like a weird form of my life where the number of people I'm allowed to interact with is massively reduced and the way that I interact with them is also different. So it's it's really weird times. But there's something I'm I'm taking the positives from it. I'm enjoying the the quietness and the the stillness. And yeah. I took a walk yesterday. I, I was walking in the middle of the roads up towards the fourth road bridge. I could never do that before. I was walking in the middle of the road. It was cool. Shouldn't yeah, be, yeah. but I, I don't know. Just the fact that, that everything's really abandoned, it's really it's there's something cool about seeing abandoned places. I don't know. I've got a fascination with that kind of thing. I was uh, I was amazed by that actually because I I went out um, early to the shops one morning just to um, didn't really need to go. I just basically oh, wanted sorry. to get outside and go and do something. But um, it was it was it was I think it was Thursday or Friday. It was like ch- normally there'd be children going to school at that time. But there was just nobody anywhere, and it was. It sounded like yeah. Norfolk when I was see when I was down in Norfolk, living in the countryside, and I'd get up in the morning there and go outside, and it would just be birds chirping and and just the sound of just the wind, the breeze. You could hear the. There's breeze. something really nice about it. Yeah, yeah, and the, I remember just sitting in my car in the traffic lights, and the, and the engine goes off. You know, like a lot of the the cars do now, so you don't even hear the engine noise, and it's the middle of the city, and just like you, the same experience, utter silence. You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's we've obviously given this podcast a bit of a somber atmosphere. It's it's quite good in a way. It's funny because we're about to watch one of the, <laughs> the more, <laughs> more entertaining. I know where you're going. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably the same thing in your mind. You're optimistic. Yeah, 
I know, that's right. We're about five minutes into this podcast. I haven't even mentioned. This is for, obviously, the Bond Daft podcast. We're doing <laughs> Octopussy, film 13. Uh, this is going to be the sixth Roger Moore film. Um, and, yeah, like, we're just to finish on what we've just spoke about, it has been a kind of, there's a lot going on in the world, but I suppose you can try and, like we've spoken about, you know, find ways to to keep us entertained, keep us sane, keep us healthy. And watching media and television and films is one of the best things that we have at our disposal to do that. And I think what better way to to do that when with the James Bond collection? And obviously we are we've been doing that anyway. And we, now we're right in the, the middle of it. We're right it's the middle film, film thirteen. And uh, this is you know. Probably uh, from reading, from what I remember as well, I've only seen it once or twice. This is one of the campiest kind of sillier films, isn't it? Of Roger Moore, The Spectrum, isn't it? At least, uh-huh. I, I think, tonally, I think it's a bit mad. I mean, so, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's funny because I think particularly with this this movie, I feel like I've seen it so many times. It, it's almost like, um, where Gordon, you're, you're a fan of the, James Bond entire franchise. I'd say I'm a fan of I'm a, definitely a fan of this particular movie in the sense that I know it so well. Um, like I could almost kind of talk about like I can remember scenes without having seen it. Like I remember like lines of dialogue and like the way people are dressed or costumes, hairstyles, just the, like the music, various things that that like I've found amusing um, over the years. But I, I I do I think it's got a very it's a it's strange because it's a kind of a heartwarming film in some ways. Like there's there's a sense of comfort to this film. And I don't know whether that's because I've seen it so many times, but it's just it's a very comfy James Bond movie. I I don't know if you feel that way about it, Gordon. Yeah. Like I, I I get that sense about this film that, that I could I, I like I used to watch this film when I was hungover. <laughs> I used to put it on, like say I was I was coming like, I went to a party at uni or something and I was really like hungover. I'd come back in like the early morning and like lie down and like put this on. Or like the next day when I was h- hanging, like I'd put it on in the background just to try and like you know, you feel it's like a comfort viewing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that as well. I feel the same about films like Moonraker, even for your eyes only. Just a lot of that's just got to do with Roger Moore and uh-huh. I, I would say actually um, tonally we'll, we'll, we'll come to it without spoiling too much but um, it's one of the more, re- always to me been one of the more realistic films plot wise uh-huh. oh really? Yeah. Oh. that's the weird thing about it is it swings between really crazy funny stuff but also um, not really crazy funny but like quirky uh, silliness and then but but then incredible seriousness because you get this whole it's it's a it's very much a soviet union versus the the west kind of film and you get real moments of this like gravitas of like big soviet meetings and all the generals together and and this whole kind of east and west germany and the cold war and there's this very kind of gray sort of cold feeling to that but then you've also got this whole subplot of I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he's the guy from the Middle East or something, isn't he? Sort of is India. it not set in India? Part, film part is, it I is. think it was filmed yeah. partly in India and in, in England as well. Uh-huh. So so that part of it is is where the kind of silliness comes in. And then you get like there's a like there's a circus as well that's part of it. 
So there's like uh um there's some stuff to do with a circus act and all that kind of thing that's going on um okay. as, as well. So that's a bit kind of funny, but it, it kind of jumps. It, I think it quite comfortably jumps between the different tones. Like, I never okay. felt that it was. Well, we can get into I that think... in more detail once we've watched the film. We'll uh, we'll all have our our say on it and see how we feel about it. But you you obviously you would say that that, that is. Uh, I think it does well. It, it shifts between tones well. Yeah, yeah, and, so, and definitely. And I kind of wanted to say this before we all watched it, but like, just so okay. you guys have your mind on this. But it's like, I think it's it's. I think it's up there as one of the tightest narratives in Bond. Okay, I really interesting. Do. What would you say out of the films we've watched so far has been up there as tightest narrative? For me, probably it's like the, the, the sort of more stripped back early films, Doctor No One from Russia with Love. I'd say maybe apart from the the um, that what's his name, the police officer in Live and Let Die. Oh, uh, Sheriff JW. Oh, Sheriff Pepper. So, apart from him, I'd say Live and Let Die was very tight. Yeah, that was. Um, and the man with the golden gun. Oh well, that had a whole middle section. I I, I don't know. I, I mean, when you're saying apart from him, we're talking about a twenty-minute boat chase. I feel uh-huh. like well, that, I feel well, like that. Like you can't, that's like saying the middle act of the film. If you cut that out, the film is incredibly tight. It, well, it's kind of like. That's kind of what I'm trying to get to with with my point, is that Octopussy, to me, is the first one, at least I felt, that didn't ha- that hasn't or doesn't have a, a really extraneous long sequence. Okay, all right. I'm interested um, to I, I, what the, you know what we think of that. Before we kind of go to watch it, obviously this was out in 1983, which, when I think of films 1983, that's the same year as Return of the Jedi and things like that. This is also the Bond film that competed. Uh, we spoke about it previously, Gordon, on our um, our bonus mission podcast. This is the one that competed with Never Say Never Again, the unofficial James Bond film starring Sean Connery. Now, I was doing my basic reading on this film before we before watched it. It was interesting. I hadn't realised that... Uh, Roger Moore had only signed on to do three films. He was contractually obliged to do up until The Spy Who Loved Me. And then after that, it was on a film-by-film basis. And obviously, they got him for those uh, the next two. After For Your Eyes Only, he actually had expressed a disinterest in returning for the role. And they actually started to look at other actors who would be... Even, I think, at the time, Timothy Dalton was starting to appear into the sort of conversation around... You know, this is about two or three films before he appeared for uh, in the Living Daylights, and so then once they got wind of Sean Connery was returning and Never Say Never Again, and it was going to release in the same year that their own Bond film was going to release, just two months later, they obviously were like, "Moore, come on, <laughs> come back! Like we have to have an established Bond against an, a, another established Bond. You cannot have a new. This cannot be the year for a newcomer, and so they sort of." came to an agreement and got him back, uh, which is interesting. Broccoli was able to convince him. So yeah, bond on bond. Uh, I think that was not one of the conversations. That sounds we were... like, it <laughs> just sounds, sounds, sounds really... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It is actually the name of uh, 
a big book. I think it's written by his Roger bonded. Moore. I think that's his name, yeah, Bond on Bond, yeah. But of course, yeah. that would be the name of the, the title he would use. That just perfectly sums him up. Uh, so, yeah. Bond. Okay. Uh, John Glenn, of course, returned as director. This is his second James Bond film. Previously, uh, uh, he did uh, the last film, For Your Eyes Only. So it'll be interesting to see what developments it's had in the style and the, and the direction. I can't imagine, I don't think a lot of the other main crew have changed too much. Um, we've now got the new M in this film from uh, cast-wise. And Gordon, is there anything else you want to set us up with? Or do you think we've covered most of the plot, basic plot anyway, set up with Fran in it as well? Well, there's uh, it seems to blend the world of dual smuggling with the... Um, Cold War and as we were mentioning the West and Russia there's a, a MI6 um, operative who's who's found dead with a certain jewel and this jewel suddenly appears in the market and at the same time there's a, a very volatile Soviet general who's really not happy about supposedly people like General Gogol kind of warming towards the West and he he wants to attack the NATO forces and I think the, the German border and he has this plan but they, they don't agree with him and uh, he enlists the the help of a Joe smuggler and who is also using the services and sort of as a middleman for another Joe smuggler called Octopussy who is a woman in the leading lady of the film who's played by Maud Adams who we last saw in The Man with the Golden Gun Louis Jordan plays Kamal Khan, and you may remember Stephen Berkoff. He plays the very angry and volatile General Orlov of the yep. Soviet Union. And I think he the was budget was similar Trek to Fury well. Only. He was in uh, played played a role in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Would you believe as a very volatile arms dealer? <laughs> so it's, no, it's, it's been a while since thing. we've had a Star Trek. Just this week, very volatile. Yeah, I had to throw it in somewhere. I'd definitely throw in some Star Trek Bond crossover, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, by the way, Camille Cannes like got the best henchman in any Bond film, I think. An extremely angry Sikh guy. Who, oh yeah. Who, yeah, Like hates his boss being like, say, say Bond takes the piss out of Camille Cannes. This this henchman hates it. He's so angry, yeah. like he's so def- defensive about his boss. Like yeah, crush things to dust in front of Bond, like to. Are you saying this? I mean, this guy is competing with Jaws and Oddjob. Is this guy up there? Wait, it's like it, basically, you never got the sense that Jaws was in love with his boss. Like, you get this, <laughs> you get this sense from this guy that like he really cares about Camille Can. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a certain thing that happens late in the film that is very dedicated to your boss. I would say what he does uh-huh. for him but we'll get to that <laughs> yeah yeah okay all right okay we're 20 minutes in i think it's time let's go and watch octopussy and we'll come back and talk about it in spoilericious detail now i changed it up there oh uh yeah so we'll be back and we'll talk about the film thank you bye-bye And we are back from watching Octopussy. What do we all think of this one, gents? Well, the first thing I want to say, I've got to say, is Octopussy is such an inappropriate nickname for a child, which is where it came from. That that is a very good point. (laughs) Yeah, I did think that. That was really odd. Yeah, maybe that sums up some of the... the, the, (laughs) 
the silliness of the film, maybe? Yeah, you want to take this one, Fran, seeing as this is your kind of film that you've, uh, you know, talked about previously. This is one of your favourite. Gordon and I actually ended up having a wee two-minute discussion before everybody else arrived. We were just talking about it. And Gordon, like I said, oh, this was this is almost like kind of the perfect Bond film, in a sense. And, and Gordon reminded me about um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And that I'd made similar comments about that. But I think there's kind of a, there's a distinction between the two because Honor Majesty's Secret Service was, a, was the perfect Bond film that didn't rely on the formula in the sense that it was almost like a closing of the character arc. Whereas if you then carry on and we've seen the Bond formula become tighter and tighter, I feel like this film had almost the perfect mix of all of the different aspects from the music to the pacing to the variety of different things that we got to see to the fact that the plot was there and the villains were clear. They all had different motivations, but they were working together. Um, uh, Roger Moore was on incredible form with the, uh, the writing was tight with the one liners, you know, that uh, they gave Q an excellent segment. To, to show off a wee bit and, and kind of come outside of his you know there was in fact there was a couple of great scenes with Q um, they just I, I, I kind of feel like this was Roger Moore and James Bond right in the middle of its run but at almost the height of its power in terms of the mixture of talent they had at the time yeah actually you actually saw Q working as a field agent for the first time he was mm-hmm helping out VJ keep an eye on Bond when he was in Octopus's Palace, or was it Kamal's house? I can't remember. And Octopus's. <laughs> I wonder why yeah, he had to be doing that with the short staffed or something. Yeah, it was interesting, um, certainly, uh, to, to see Q out doing that. But, um, but yeah, but I, I feel like it's a special film because, I don't know, with a lot of the other ones, it felt as if there was too much of one and less, of, too much humour, not enough serious stuff maybe wasn't quite so tight there, there was always parts of it that were perfect and then other parts that weren't quite so so there but with this one I just I just felt certain things came together in this film quite well uh-huh. like I feel like it just because the next film's not the same they okay. lose it again a bit okay yeah. uh, Gordon yeah. what's uh, what was your, your thoughts re-watching this film just really fun as it's quite easy watching and it, it is a fun film and I think that the, the villains, they're not too low-key but they're not too larger than life. There's, I, I really enjoyed the performance by, although he was kind of low-key, Kamal Khan and he had some brilliant dialogue in a lot of good films like this, it isn't just Bond that has the, the witticisms, a lot of the other characters did too and even like the guy you were the big the massive Sikh henchman Gobinda also you know it, it wasn't it, it was enough to um you know he's part he fitted into the Bond formula he's this almost superhuman strength crushing the dice man and <laughs> he uh, but he wasn't too over the top and I, I really I thought um it was great to see the performance by uh, Octopussy herself and the way that she was portrayed as possibly a villain and she becomes an ally of Bond and even there was a kind of reveal of her which I quite liked at first you could just hear her voice when Kamal was talking to her and it gave her an aura that the fact that Kamal was kind of serving her she was in charge of him and he's actually the main villain of the film and yeah it's just 
when I'm in a certain mood, I'll put on Octopus, or even just for the great, it was great to put John Barry back for the music, just a great score, real classic Bond sound, the Bond theme well used, which I always say I enjoy. And I like Fran said, yeah, I like the, the, I like the mix of cold and dark. There's some real dark moments in this film as well. Okay. Steve, what was your first take on this film? It's got a lot going for it. Um, I mean, it start, the, the start, it started off explosively. I'll come back to this, but that's the best pre-title sequence of any Bond film I've seen so far. It got, I felt it got kind of tangled in the middle because you had obviously the, the jewelry heist going on, but brought into the mix was this bomb, atomic bomb plot by a sort of rogue Russian general. Um, kind of everything kind of it felt a little bit tangled in the middle it all came out really well and again the end was once again fantastic um the action was great the the actual characters bond uh roger moore was fantastic in this octopus in particular was a fantastic character her and her troop of uh acrobatic gymnastic master female criminal dual heist women so there'll be there's a, there's a hell of a lot to unpick in this film i think but it was it kind of, for me, it started off incredible. I wouldn't say dipped as such, but it got a little tangled in the middle, but then kind of untangled itself and finished off fantastically. The tension right down to the end was brilliant. But yeah, there's a lot, I think, to go into on this one. Yeah, I I kind of agree with, I, I, I agree with all the points in a, in, in a sense. I think I'm more aligned with you, Steve, on some of that. Uh, it did have a strong start. I did uh, I really like that explosive, uh, literally, um, beginning. And the Soviet feeling of the film, that, you know, it's been a while since we've had that from Bond, really. I suppose it's maybe, is it even from Russia with Love? Is that the last film they really had? Some of that, um, maybe there's been another film in there somewhere. Um, well, I would say I like one, maybe a little bit, for your eyes only. The for your eyes only, yeah, I suppose it did a little. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Google's made an appearance quite a lot. True. I I think it's more like the, the even seeing the Soviet military arm, you know, the army and things like that in there. Uh, I love the music. The music in this film is great. I think it's it's the return of John Barry. He was missing for I think tax reasons. I read uh, from the last one. Um, they were able they were able to get him back, and they emphasized his. And we'll go into it. We'll talk about the music more. But essentially, it was because of Never Say Never Again coming out. They wanted to to show this is the Bond theme. Like, this is the Bond theme. This is the Bond film. This is official. Play it a lot. So it's right, right from the beginning. Um, and I like that. That is a strong start. As the film went on, touching on similar to what Steve said, I think it does get messy. I think uh, there's maybe one too many silly gags that are kind of, uh, and, and there's stereotypes as well. We'll go into all that. Um, maybe a little condensed. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny in a way. It, it is, yeah, you kind of, yeah, I don't take it too seriously. And I know it's all, a laugh, but there is moments where it's like, oh wow, it's, it's just a bit lazy, isn't it? A wee bit, a wee bit. It's uh, it also a lot of um, it lazy is the key word I think in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was points where I did laugh, like at the beginning. Actually, I found myself laughing. I noticed my laugh would start. I, I laughed less and less as the film went on. Like I don't know why. Like it's like. The humour didn't keep up. The, the genuine humour that I found, whatever would made me laugh, if it was a mere side glance or even the escalation of the silliness of the action, it started to wane a bit for me, where it didn't quite have the same appeal as it did at the very beginning, when it was just like a car chase that escalated, you know, from the, the, the top, top, and then it sort of just became crazy, and I liked it, but then as the kept film kept doing that, maybe it didn't 
quite sustain. The plot I wasn't following a lot of the time, uh, if I'm honest. Um, I got it. It was essentially in the end, sort of, sort of massive bomb going to go off in the circus. Uh, uh, you know, double cross things like that. Uh, actually, Gordon, what you mentioned about Octopussy, we'll talk about her in more detail. But I kind of wish a part of me wishes that there was a film where she was the villain. I kind of wished for her to be the villain. It was kind of mm-hmm. cool seeing. Octopussy giving orders to to Kamal Khan, um, and her clearly having a menacing presence. I almost wish the film had a bit more. You know, they weren't following a Neil Fleming script. You know, or a script uh, like a novel. They weren't following the story. They were doing their own thing. You know, they could have uh, if they yeah, had. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, Octopus. They had. Yeah, it was. There was. There was what a short story, and they used a couple of elements from it. But by and large, there. I've you yeah, know, they more or less. Created their own, yeah. Well, the, so they could the have done is, whatever they wanted. I mean, the, the thing is with it that what you had was a very interesting situation. The reason I, the reason that I, I kind of always felt the writing was tighter in this one, I suppose, in a way, I've had time to get used to what the plot is because it is quite, it it can be a little bit complex. There's quite a lot going on, but but it, basically, there's two great things happening here. So there's there's three villains. And each of them are quite unique. So you've got, and they all have their own motivations. So Octopussy is quite a low level villain in the sense that she's about money and stealing and things like that. She's not about killing and brutality and death and all that kind of thing. So she's she's a criminal, but not not an evil person. And then you've got Kamal Khan, who is more a little bit more sadistic, but he's still greedy. Um, and then you've got the general, the Soviet general. Um, what's his name again, Gordon? General it starts with an O, doesn't it? Orlov. It sounds like Urmov, but it's not. Orlov. It's Orlov. Gordon, Gordon, is your head stuck in that position? Can anyone else see that? <laughs> <laughs> frozen, yeah. Gordon, Gordon, that's kind of creepy. Are you still there? Gordon? I think he's... Have we lost... He's just... That is we so... Down. That, that is quite creepy. But anyway, right, we'll, we'll wait till... <laughs> We'll, we'll wait to see if Gordon returns. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, so General Orlov is is quite a. Um, obviously, he's got his political motivation, hasn't he? So he's all about um, the conquest of the West and taking it over. So he needs to get this nuclear bomb into um, East, sorry, into West Germany or West Berlin or whatever to blow it up. And he needs a transport to do that, so he ends up using the train. But to get the train, he has to get go through Kamal Khan, and Kamal Khan has to create a, a scheme with Octopussy to make her believe that it's all about money. Do you see what I mean? So uh, you're right. Uh, you do need one or two watches of this to kind of unpick that, because when you watch it the whole way through, I think you're so distracted by because it's very bright. You've got clowns. You've got all sorts going on here and there. You do need time to kind of sit down uh-huh. and kind of unpick the the storyline. You've you've described it absolutely perfectly. I, I think it would take two or three watches to kind of get the hang of that. Yeah, yeah I def- could definitely. See that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, it, Commander I, Webster's I back. Yep. How are you going? Oh, oh. Okay. Ah, right. Internet seemed to drop. Probably a lot You're... of people using it at once. So I totally yeah. missed what you've been saying for about a minute and a half. Well, essentially, Fran quite well condensed uh, the main villains and the sort of the levels of villainy. Uh, Fran, if you want to quickly summarise uh, for Gordon. 
Yeah, so you've got General Orlov, the political villain who wants to take over the West, um, who needs to get his nuclear bomb to, to West Germany to blow it up. You've got Kamal Khan, who's a greedy, quite sadistic sort of guy, into the money side of things. And then you've got um, uh, Octopussy, who's who's not evil, but a criminal, like you know, or under an organisation of thieves, and they do heists and things like that. But Orlov's plan is to get that nuclear bomb to the West, and to do that, he needs the train, he needs the cover of the circus. Kamal Khan's the contact through which that's all organised. And then, obviously, that's what that's how the bomb gets taken to to this yeah. circus in Germany at the end. But yeah. um, I, I mean, I I do I, I get it. Like I understand. I I I had to watch it a few times, and I did watch it a few times. But I, as as I watched it, it became clearer to me what was going on. But it's a very rich film. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of it's it's like a treat to me. Like from the writer's perspective. I love the complexity of the different characters, and I like the fact that, like, there's little scenes in the film that have complex to- undertones to them that are that are more ambitious than than most of the Bond films, right? So we know that Bond has acted inappropriately with women in the past, where he's he's gone up to them and 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 kind of approached them in like a sexual way when they they've said no and then not taken that hint kind of thing. But with them, um, Octopussy, we got to see a more human interaction between two people where the motivations of each were not particularly clear like they had an argument and then and then the passions began to rise between the two of them and then there was a little bit of resistance from from octopusy but a, a shrewd observer would be able to see that there was more going on you know what i mean it was so well written and so well played out that that it was almost like i wish that all the previous bond scenes had been like that so that we could have understood what was you know that we could have forgiven them in a way, I suppose. Like you had this idea of of two very powerful, ruthless characters, you know, coming together in that scene. And I feel like there was a lot in this, um, like interactions between Orlov and Kamal Khan, um, the the, the under the, like the subtext between um, Kamal Khan's henchmen and him, that bit at the end where they're both in the hotel room together having a discussion about things. Were they together? There's an element of that there, and they never picked up. I've yeah. always, th- I've always thought that about those two. I've always wondered if, if the, because, because his henchman really gives a shit about like his boss. Like he, you know, he's he, uh, he, like gets so angry. He got on, a pl- on top of a plane outside for him. Ah, uh-huh. I says go outside and get him, and he's like out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, exactly. He that that, that shows a level of dedication. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely but aye there's so many there's, there's a lot of like from the writing from the creative writing side of things from character building and world building and, and creating believable scenes uh, there's there's a lot to enjoy here it was well done and and do you know what I loved as well I'll try not to take over too much of this it's just there's so much to say it's the fact that it switched between the, the madcap and then you had these wonderful scenes with the Soviet military and that great music with that kind of booming drum sound that, and that kind of like the military drum sound and it, and it kind of went back to this cold, like even the colour palette, palette of the, the scenes was completely different. So, so so it was almost like for me, whenever it felt like it was getting too madcap, it would switch back and you would have that dose of, you know, a bit more grounded military yeah. style stuff going on. Yeah, I'll tell you two super dark parts in, in the film, actually. The the death of Bond's ally, Vijay, who's 
one of his contacts in India, and the, with the yo-yo buzzsaw, he's just held there while they they don't even capture him. The the henchman with the yo-yo buzzsaw chucks it towards him. You see all the the birds flying off in alarm, and then also the the death of who turns out to be 009, although he's dressed as a clown, been chased by the two twin assassins. And the, the, the darkness that runs through the forest, the, just a scene real tension. I remember when I, I first saw this film, I must have been about 9, 10, 11 or something in the, the mid-90s, late 90s. And it, it really it really had such an impression on me. The scene that I remembered more than any other was that run through the forest. Yeah. And yeah, uh, but that's yeah. the thing. There's a shift between very um, dark scenes and, you know, some of the the most classic cheeky Roger Moore is best. Yes. Yeah, those, those two um, assassins in Mishka and Grishka, I think they said their name was at the circus, they um they were quite menacing and you, you did get kind of unusual characters like that and even in the Fleming novels that had this unique trait. They were really circus performers, performers but they, they could do all kinds of crazy tricks and stunts with their knives. They were just master knife thrower marksmen. And in terms of the, yeah, Steve, you you were actually totally right. I think the point you were making was that they did the the, the major plot was um, something that hadn't really been featured in the book, but they took a few elements from the short stories. They, for example, the there's one called Property of a Lady where it basically has almost the exact scene when Bond and the the art expert go to the Sotheby's auction to see who's mm-hmm. trying to buy the the real Fabergé egg. That that yep. short story was basically just about that scene, as far as I remember. There was an octopusy um, short story. I can't remember that. It's ages since I read it. But then also, I don't know if it, I think it was a, another completely different short story with Fleming. The reference to Octopus's father that she told Bond, but that was really interesting. When Bond meets her, this the big scene when Bond actually meets her and you actually see Octopus for the first time. She said that you were sent out to arrest my husband, Major Smythe, and. But you, rather than you gave him twenty four hours to get his affairs in order uh, before turning him in, and but she said she actually wanted to thank Bond for he treat he kind of treated him, I think, in a prof it was like a professional courtesy, um, by giving him a, a another way out, and the guy subsequently committed suicide. But um, yeah, there was a few elements taken, and there's there's just some classic iconic Bonds scenes especially for Roger Moore some real highlights for him the, the, in the casino in India the I think it's backgammon the, the little game him and Kamal Khan are playing it's just the classic thing of Bond taking on a villain it's some kind of game the villain cheats yeah. Bond, Bond quickly works works that out and turns the tables in him there you go and the whole he, he realizes he's cheating but he's, he's somehow manipulated the dice so that they come up as double sixes and he gets a win every time and Bond just the line oh then I I shall use, uh, what as he says, um, player's privilege and use your lucky dice. And, he, and, and it's all in the wrist and all that. And he throws and he doesn't even look up. He just says double sixes, <laughs> fancy that. And he wins the 200,000 yeah. rupees. And he's so yeah. pissed off, Kamal Khan, the way he looks. So that's one scene. And another real classic Moore um, scene I was going to say was I actually the scene at Sotheby's auction, again, quite early in the film. The, the, the shock in the, the MI6 art expert, the shock in his face when Bond suddenly puts in a bid, he's meant to be there just to observe and he's, he's bidding for the egg. But it's classic Bond using his wits. You know, if I pretend that I'm bidding for this, then we'll see how badly he wants it because he'll hopefully put in a bigger big, bigger bid and he does. You know, it's that's just too real. There's a lot of real classic iconic 
stuff in this film for me. Yeah, yeah. Those scenes were actually probably some of my favourite because they felt very Bondian, classic Bondian feel to them. But they also still had real tension, you know, and, and amongst all the madness of all the action scenes and things like that. Uh, they, they they actually sustained real tension. I think were well played by Moore and directed by John Glenn. So, and what were you going to say? I was I was going to move on to the um the like the, the complete opposite of that, such as an absolutely incredible scene, and I say incredible as in not credible, not fantastic, where um Bond is on the run from Kamal Khan and his guys ends up in a street in India, runs along like. Fire like they've got like hot stones and fire on the ground. He runs along that, then throws a guy onto a bed of pins that someone's lying on, then pulls a sword out of a guy's mouth like a sword beater and starts fighting. And it's just like the craziest like sequence of the street of every single Indian stereotype. Yes, Uh, like I mean that's the fact that that scene ended with Bond handing a guy some money and saying that should keep you in curry for a few weeks. Oh, I know, I know that that line, which like that was, you know, that's that's the worst line I've seen in a few films. You know, the the first time, like, I I watched this film. I was trying to think back to when I first saw it. I think it must have been like 2000, 2001 or something was the first time I really saw it because my uncle was staying with us and he'd brought his videos around and his CDs and everything and, and um, cause he was, he was like between moving houses and he was with us for that short period of time and we were watching all these things and he ended up leaving that with me. So I watched it loads of times, but I remember even in like the early 2000s watching that in that line and going, Oh, that's a bit. That's a bit strange, <laughs> you know, and and that's like nearly twenty yeah. years ago. Do you know what I mean? And I was I was kind of thinking like, well, you know, Bond. It's, it's a bit. What are you saying that for? Kind of thing. But just some great yeah, dialogue as well, like some great dialogue. Sorry, like it's a company car, and the the all the people in the street that go off nice, my yeah. bed. And Bond, remember, Bond throws the the money he won off Can, which actually stopped him getting stabbed in like the chest. He throws it into the air and it lands in the the I think it's the bow of one of the street performers. It's just craziness of that. Scene. And the uh, the where I think it maybe annoys me a bit more, but it's equally funny and crazy is this whole safari sequence. Bond when he's he's getting chased by Kamal after he emerges from that body bag and every possible kind of classic safari animal you can think of a tiger a poisonous <laughs> snake a crocodile a tiger which he tells to sit <laughs> yes yeah i know that bit that bit's the almost the pinnacle of craziness in the film because yeah, you know yeah. but, but you can tell that moore himself must have been i don't know how they shot that but he looked fucking terrified in that scene like <laughs> like sweating and like like hair all a mess you know he, what I mean? they put a real tiger in kind of as a joke and scared the shit out of him I don't know. I've not, did too. Read, but I've not read or seen the the bonus features, Gordon. Do you know if that was a real tiger? I take it that, that was a fake or I, something. I, I think um, there was definitely a real. I don't know if a real tiger was actually on the set or if they got a footage of a tiger from another place, but it was clear that at least one of those shots was a real tiger, but it seemed to appear right in front of him and then it kind of changed its course, which is. Yeah, I doubt that's a, that was a real tiger with Roger Moore. No, uh, not with Roger Moore. I think so. they might have filmed uh, the two separately, but I reckon that was yeah. probably. It, was, it might have been a real tiger, I think. They probably didn't shoot him with it, but. All those animals together, I reckon, are probably, especially back then, probably easy to easy enough to get their hands on. So, real tiger, real bear, real. Uh, there was a tiger cub right at the end in the uh, yeah. in the uh, the circus. 
So I, I reckon there'll be yeah all the elephants and stuff as well. So I reckon it's going to be all. The thing is, they were actually quite egalitarian in their laziness, like because um, it wasn't just the poor Indians that were the victims of this. It was the the Germans as well with bonds in the car with the German couple and they're stuffing sausages into their face and trying to give them beer. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you know, just total, just and and then even the Americans in the circus tent—they all come across as really stupid, don't they? Yeah, du- complete dumbasses. You know, and the Americans are like, of course there is. Where do you expect about it? You know, that's just yeah. like they're, they're just not. T- this guy's either drunk or crazy. You know, like why does that big? I was going to say suddenly appear in the crowd. What was that shot about? Was there any reason for that? Yeah, I keep that all the years. I, every time I watch that, I keep thinking, am I missing something? This kind of beast guy with the moustache and and the the other circus performer. Um, well, the the woman that bonds his relations with. Um. He um kind of needs pasta, and she seems sort of annoyed. <laughs> but I just think, what's the relevance? It's like a brief three second shot, but that guy's never in it again. But that's just a small I thing. Thought the whole purpose of I thought it was basically using a fat guy for Bond to hide behind so that he could get <laughs> past without ah, her right, seeing. Right. That's I, that was my taking from that. So I thought it was a good use of a large man. <laughs> <laughs> Typical big fat American noticed. or German, though. I mean, that that's another one we can add to the list. Like just yeah. The, I I don't I don't know I mean well no I was I was actually going to say uh, for the last few films we've I think been able to effectively retire Bond has dated because there hasn't been much use for it but this film brought it back in its entirety there was the women there was the sexism there was the low key racism there was every single possible stereotype I'm not Let quite me just, sure uh, what went on at the discussion music level music right now so the music's going to play now. Bond is dated, Bond is dated, sexist, misogynist, he don't care, Bond is dated, license to offend. And yep, Bond is dated, theme is just played. Steve, I'll let you continue yes. your point. Essentially, you were saying this covered all bases of where Bond has dated. I thought it was just a massive reversal, because we've been, I thought we've been on a bit of an upward trajectory for the last few films, particularly, we haven't really had to call out anything. But this, yeah. it was, and it was, as Fran said earlier, it was, it wasn't blatant, it was just lazy. But, I mean, you had everything from the entire island that just happened to be populated with incredibly good-looking women. Um, now, it yeah. helps. The one benefit I've actually found of doing this podcast at home is that I've got my wife sitting next to me while I'm watching the film. So I'm getting a, uh-huh. kind of, I'm getting a, a bit of a female perspective on this. Yeah. And it was interesting because I kind of... Because she, she instinctively approached the film with the idea that Bond is just a massive sexist person. And I was oh, like, oh, look, it's this island full of women run by a woman she's training them all look feminism etc and she just turned and went if that was genuinely an island full of women for women they'd be wearing loungewear and no makeup because they wouldn't actually care about what they looked like which made me good think point. hang on a sec that's a point that the, the reason that they're all looking as good as they all do is it's the writers and it's for the the titillation of the audience so there was, there was just a lot of sort of low-level, if not sexism, kind of misogyny. And again, not exactly racism, but just lazy stereotyping. That curry line was just the worst of it. But there was, there was a lot of that, and it, was, it took us on a downward trajectory. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is see if we look at the male characters, right? So let's look at um, M and Q and the Sotheby's guy and, and Camille Khan and all of them, like, and Orlov, like, all of them look very different to each other, and they're not all as handsome as Roger Moore. 
Like Roger, yeah, Moore that's is, true. That's true. You know, you know, like you've got a bit of, you've got a lot more diversity of how they. I mean, they're all pretty well presented. They're all dressed smartly, and none of them are big fatties or anything. Are they? They're all pretty fit. I mean, M's maybe I get in on a, a, a bit, and so's Q and the minister and all that. But, uh, but although those characters are always not meant to be seen as, because you don't want to take away attention from your main attraction, which is Bond. So uh-huh, you have to like, have a supporting but, cast around them, more or less, just being what, your average character aye but that same thought process wasn't applied to the island of women was it it wasn't like all the other women were ugly so the octopusy would stand out I mean no they never do that's the thing I I mean that's the thing like yeah I I do think that your your wife is correct Steve in the the real world that's what an island for women criminals would be like they would all be relaxing (laughs) you know I'm I'm just but I think really though we, we probably understand that a bunch of women ninjas probably would at least be quite regimented maybe quite fit so that's part of it that's realistic but I, and all I wearing a sort of bizarre red the incredible style superhero know, that outfit, so which funny. that uniform appeared halfway through uh-huh. <laughs> i know what's that in my thurman that reminds yeah. me almost of like the like the costumes of a previous film i can't remember what one but like when the, there was one of the films where the, the bad guys were wearing sort of red outfits like that but um, I totally get where you're coming from. Like I feel like when you're watching a film, even nowadays, the male characters, you get a lot more realism in terms of how men actually look. Like mm-hmm. you've got men that are older, not maybe so fit. They're not all extremely stunningly good looking, you know. Whereas with the women in films, you, there's a lot of women that don't get much screen time, you know. Yeah, I, I, it's changing slightly. I'd say that it's not so bad now. It, it, it comes down to you tend to have more male characters, and especially we're talking about big blockbuster films. And so with more characters, more males, the spread of different types means you can have those kind of different... You can have your stunning, good-looking, handsome lead with your older gent character or whatever this the trope is that you leave the sort of supporting female slot for gorgeous women and if if you're going to have more uh, from the bond perspective they just add in more of that that they don't yeah, yeah. Uh, gordon you were going to pay absolutely no. came into their own at the end i would say um i was just going to say that they absolutely came into their own at the end because they yes. that entire they effectively they did all the dirty work right at the end so that bond could fly in in his union jack balloon and kind of just Mop up, but they they absolutely <laughs> yeah. uh, saved the day at the end. Gordon, what was your thoughts on it? Oh, no, not much. I was just going to say, I'm scared to say anything now in case Juliet's listening. <laughs> so, Steve McCall was saying, I've got but, headphones on, she can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding, man. No, um, that that was pretty much all I was going to say. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, okay, just, uh, just a generic uh, fear of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I I I get the, I get the points. I think that um you know we feel the frustration as well. Sometimes I think you put yourself in the shoes of the other people. That's how you understand how they might feel watching something. So it's difficult to do that. But sometimes I feel a little bit frustrated. With, like there's a lot of um, issues with say online dating at the moment, where if you're not a six pack guy taking photos of yourself in an amazing car you're not going to have much luck like you have to be going to the gym every day and be all cut and look certain like like you can be frustrated like i, I guess i kind of empathize with well, watching these, uh, these films that example, in the sense that yeah 
the, the thing is, the difference between that example is that the online dating thing, like, you know, a certain, say, a, a, a girl I'm or not, guy... Listen, is, I'm not I, saying they're the same. I'm yeah. not saying they're the same at all. I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying it's that's what I think of when I try and put myself in the position of a woman. Like, I, I, if I'm watching a film, I think, I wonder how it would feel if I was watching this film and every single guy in the movie was unattainably attractive, like, and, and, and unrealistically so. Do you know what I mean? And the only way I yeah. can do that is to choose the things in my own life. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't in any way compare the two things. It's just that that's like the place I'll go to in my head. Like, if I'm trying to kind of understand, like, what, what Juliet was, was picking up there, like, that's the only way I could do that. Because I obviously don't have a female perspective, so I have to try and create it in my own head. Like I, I've, I've not got yeah. someone sitting with me to say, so I have to try and imagine. Well, how would I feel looking at this? You know, I think you can apply a lot of this, a lot of this stuff to so many films. You know, you, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Like reevaluate them from a female perspective. So, so, and you know, this is maybe the classic Bond film to do that. An island populated by women. It's. It's nuts, but it's... Uh, and I think it's only Roger Moore's Bond could really get away with it in that context. You picture even... I thought, first of all, imagine Timothy Dalton in that sequence. It wouldn't really work. Daniel Craig even. some bit. The tone's totally changed again. It's the sort of film where um, the only kind of film that could really put that in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I certainly think that... It, that that era, rather... Place. Yeah, it'd be out of place in other ones, but it's not aged well. That's no. that that whole no. thing. Yeah, a lot of it. Uh, we covered it essentially the sort of subtle, uh, casual racism with the, with the sort of misogyny and the male, very male gaze. Essentially, you can put it down to feel of the film is where it has aged. Um, and speaking of things that have aged, I would say Roger Moore noticeably looks older in this film. And this ties back into where Bond is dated, even so, on the basis when you're <laughs> seeing him with some of these ladies. Because, wow, that looks a little, uh, a little, a little yeah. much, maybe. Well, I it's thought it, a bit of a gap, really yeah. <laughs> I suppose you could say also where maybe where literally the, has the, the dated. I forgot. Yeah. The bit I forgot is remember the, the terrible sequence with Pussy Gore in the barn like he kind of just forces Octopussy towards him and, and kisses her uh, but well, and that's he looks like you're psycho in that scene you look at his eyes he looks uh-huh. but that's, it's like that's his a, eyes are glazed over well, that, that's the point it's like Bond is a ruthless killing machine and she's a ruthless gang leader like and they're together and it's like a battle of wills I mean that was that was a scene obviously yeah. I referenced earlier in terms of being slightly more complicated now it was written but it was still troubling because none of us would ever find ourselves in that position. And we don't yeah. understand what it's like to be those people. But I don't know, like, yeah, there's kind of a, like, see if you want to think about how ludicrous some of it is, right? Imagine we went to the pictures and we saw a film where there was, like, a woman sp- secret agent spy and she ends up on an island filled with incredibly handsome men all, like, living there. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and... Uh, like we would be, we would walk out of the cinema and we'd be like, "What a load of shit that was! What what the hell was going on there?" You know, yeah. or like, or somebody like some Indian agent ends up in Britain and everybody's all a Cockney geezer, all like talking in Cockney rhyming <laughs> slang. Do you know what I mean? And and like, you know, they're somersaulting over folk eating like fish and chips, like in a big line and all this or whatever. Like it's just it's just really ridiculous cliches. And everybody yeah, is wearing kilts and like like. Or they have to fight their way through the Highland Games that are going on right in the middle of Glasgow every day. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, because <laughs> we, we, we wouldn't like <laughs> the stereotypes about Scottish people. A lot of people in this country get really worked up for that sort of thing. But that's that's like me harking back to a thing I said informally at the start of the podcast about perspective, put everything in perspective. And we could go on and on about this sort of thing and the, all the contradictions in, in Hollywood and in films in general. Um, oh, Fran seems to disappear. I can still see you guys. But worry, another I'm point you see... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's still continuing. The thing, uh, Steve Barry, that you said about Roger aging, yeah, obviously clear big age gaps between him and a lot of the girls, especially in Fear Eyes Only was very noticeable. Um, and this though, Octopussy, um, Maud Adams, she was closer age to Roger, it was a bit more believable. And I thought there what was, there was real chemistry was. between the two. I'm not saying she... that she was the same age as him, but... Uh, <laughs> She was I mean, closer. she looked maybe about twenty nine, maybe twenty eight or something, maybe maybe thirty. And this, no, she's, yeah. she's, nah. she's in her late, late, mid to late thirties, definitely. At right, okay. thirty five. Um, He's fifty five, but if that's fine. I suppose it's not as bad. It didn't look as creepy. It was more when he starts to uh, that awkward scene with uh, Money Penny and that young assistant. I was like, oh god, this is really creepy. But the, the thing that like makes a, it less believable like but also less threatening than i suppose is that by some incredible miracle like i don't know how it happens but all of these young women clearly fancy bond they make it very clear in this film like they're all standing they do, they or do. looking yeah. at him like and, and, and she was and, looking at him longingly as he exited the room and it was a uh-huh. bit and then money penny's like looking a bit like sighing with a yeah, she's fed up with them now. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I really, I really liked um, Maud Adams' performance. This, I, I think she's. I said on record, I think earlier in these podcasts, she was one of my favourite female characters in the series, and I think I much prefer Maud Adams' performance in this. To she had actually a, quite a a high level role in Man with the Golden Gun, the Scaramanga's mistress. But I thought she maybe came a. You could, if you were being quite critical, you could say more wooden in that film compared to this. It was more of a, a rounded performance, and she was, you know, just the... I think she, she was kind was of given a, more material in this one. She got to play a bit more in this one. Getting to play that sort of villain kind of character at the beginning was quite cool, like you said. I think that helped. So the writing for her was better for this one. Yeah, no, that that you're totally right. Yeah. I'm trying to think along the lines of female cat. Maybe not, not so many that... Bond gets romantically involved with just there was Magda who essentially worked for Octopussy but she she I liked that glare of hers she had a kind of dangerous look I think Magda and the fact that she was linked with Kamal Khan gave her that kind of danger quality is like it was similar to like when Bond gets together with Fiona Volpe and Thunderball but the they I think they were I enjoyed the performances but both the the sort of main female characters the two of them and they were kick-ass gymnasts as well, <coughs> and they, you know, they really they, took on they took on um, all uh, Kamal's men at the end, and and all. But yeah, there was it was, it was over the top. The red uniforms they got a bit silly, but you well, know, that, that, it was that's good. what reminded me of Diamonds Are Forever. It was uh, what was our dumb? Was it what were their names? Bambi uh, and Thumper. Bambi and Thumper. Yeah, it was kind of like that a little um, sort of. <laughs> You know, it sort of multiplied. I mean, it was it was really strange, but yeah, it was it was it's a weird film. I had conflicting feelings on the film almost the entire way through. There was like lots of things I was like, "That's cool, that's awesome, really like that." And then it was moments of, "Oh, that was really silly. That is really tacky. A little slutty." Yeah. Yeah. Slutty. Well, the, slutty. the thing is, um, I mean, it, it's a film for you know what 
we've got to just say this because it's true. It's a film. I know, it's a target audience. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it was a film that came out at a time where it was clear that James Bond was something for the boys to go and that see. Is, that is, you know, yeah, and, that is true. That is true. We have to accept that. And I think as well, like, what we need to do these days is say, say to ourselves, okay, most films should be free for all, but there's going to be films that women are going to want to go and see and that are made for women as a target audience, and there's going to be films that are made for men to go and see. Oh, it's absolutely of its type. Yeah, I'll absolutely give you that you know? much. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, they also have to back and go, yeah, that doesn't work now. I mean, if you, you if you take away the casual racism aspect and maybe make it a wee bit more realistic and, and less lazy in some ways, it wouldn't be too bad these days. But I, I do think, though, that even nowadays, I think there are films that are not marketed towards us, and why should they be? Like, there are some films I'm never going to go want to go and see. I, I wouldn't be particularly interested in going to see them. They're marketed to kids, or they're more marketed towards a female audience, or an older audience. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was a film I went to see with my ex-girlfriend by mistake, because we thought it was a horror film, but it ended up being a family drama with George Clooney. <laughs> I spent the entire time in the cinema with her, waiting for some jump scare to happen. It was the most tense movie I've ever been to. Because At least it wasn't like in Taxi Driver with Travis Bickle, the sort of um, film that he takes the the date to see, which he he obviously thought that was kind of a pro- I don't think he's seen Taxi Driver, but at least yeah, it was in that scenario. Yeah. Well, well that, that's the yeah. thing. Like, you know, when I was sitting in that cinema with all those older, well, there was a lot of older women in the cinema, and I've never been in a cinema with like 50 to 100 old la- older ladies. And then me and my girlfriend, and it was because George Clooney was in the top, the top billing for the film and it was a family drama. And I kind of thought to myself, hey, this film, is, is this is a different audience to an audience I'd usually be a part of. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm seeing something that, that appeals to an entirely different set of people here completely by accident. Um, okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And I guess you're yeah. going to get that with kids' films as well. Like, you're going to get a lot of families and kids go along. And, I, you know, th- there'll be movies that, that predominantly, same with music as well. There are bands that women love and men, you know, like big mixtures. But I get it. I feel like there's things that are unacceptable in any time. I think racism is one of them. Um, I think when it comes to appreciating the female form, that's a little bit more complex. I think if it's all the time in every movie, it's wrong. Yeah, so when I was talking about, so I wasn't even just talking about the smuttiness of some of the, the sort of Guy Hamilton-esque feeling of the film that, that, that this film kind of felt like this brought back. I was thinking more of like the tonal shift in terms of the silly cartoonish child, childlike moments where he, like Bond's hiding in a gorilla suit, Bond's hiding in an alligator or a crocodile. You know, the circus seat setting brings a lot of that on. Bond dresses as a clown is about to get shot out of a cannon. Uh, I mean, even just saying that, you know, as you know, yeah. can you imagine doing Doctor No and then that suddenly comes out? I mean, it just seems like so wildly different from what Doc, the James Bond character in films started out as. Yeah. Or even if you can compare that to the Daniel Craig films, I mean, am I, it's yeah. like a totally different world. The things that it worked, you know, there was moments where I laughed and then there was moments where I really groaned aside. Like Anne was watching it um, occasionally. She was culling it in, but she would kind of catch bits. And the, the moment where Bond, um, he's on a, the trees and he, tars, he, he shouts out like a Tarzan oh, yeah, sort of yeah. is, like yeah, swinging from the tree. That was the moment where it lost at least a star for me just on that. I was just like, 
Ah, uh, really? I, that that was that was probably the the ultimate low point in terms of of their humour. And I just think, how did he think that I was a shortcut swinging through the vines rather than being on foot and hiding the vegetation? Did that not put him out in the open? Was it? Did that not make his movements kind of predictable? It's like if you if we're reading into certain things, if you look at the Cue Branch scenes in various films, including this, and some of the it's it's funny and it keeps interesting. You see all these various weapons, um, objects with sort of defense mechanisms. And you think, where are they actually going to use, get used? In this, there was that door with the big spikes on it that just suddenly would thrash into the whoever was behind it. And I think, where is that going to go? Is that going to go in someone's house? Bond can't take that in a mission, you know? Yeah, <laughs> All this crazy yeah. stuff. And, and, you know, I was just thinking, like, um, with Bond, I think I'm more forgiven with Bond than I am with other things, like, in every area in terms of the writing or humour or like political issues or whatever. Like I'm, I'm more forgiven with Bond and I think it's because we know what Bond's targeted at, who it's for. Whereas like with Star Trek, for example, like when we were doing the Star Trek project, Steve probably noticed there was a lot less forgiven with similar things in say the reboot movies, like Star Trek and Darkness had that scene with Carol Marcus in the shuttle where she's getting undressed. And then Kirk turns around and sees her. Do you know what I mean? And and it just was so bad, so out of place. So do you know what I mean? Like with Star Trek, so you, you, yes. It's like your argument be that in Bond, it's not so out of place because it's been established. That's what Bond films do. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, and it's for a male audience, really. Whereas Star Trek's very much for everybody. Like Star Trek's um, fans are, are 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 far more diverse. I think. In terms of their demographic, and I and I don't think it's right to present them with things like that when they go and see a film. Like the whole point of Carol Marcus as a character in Star Trek Two originally was that she was a successful older scientist, and she was someone who had, who was an intellectual, you know, and that and and that was how she was presented in Star Trek Two. Whereas Into Darkness wrecked that and and had her just as an object to be gazed at, and it wasn't right. Do you know what I mean? But but again, Star Trek's completely contextually different to me. It's an intellectual uh, uh, movie or TV show, and it's something that is that you're going to have children, women, men, families, lots of different people going to go and see it, older people, and and they were trying to kind of make it appeal to a, a baser sort of instinct, and I, and I don't think that was appropriate. So I guess I'm more forgiven with Bond. I, I, I intellectually can see the ridiculousness of it all. But at the same time, and I'm talking about writing, quality, humour, um, uh, the, like the laziness. But the, uh, I'm I'm more forgiven with laziness than blatant racism or sex sexism. But I, I I do think that that you know there there is a certain time for kind of letting your hair down a wee bit and just sitting back and enjoying the ride with a silly film like like a film that's a bit a bit kind of knowingly almost just daft and irreverent in a way but i think the film has that's to true that. I, I yeah the, the film does the film the film is meta in the sense that it has the bond theme played by a character as yeah. one yeah. yeah you know that is it, it's it's saying to you look we know this is ridiculous come on just have a laugh the film is not trying to be taking itself seriously that's roger moore's shtick isn't it yeah what, you know, what did you think of that? Well, I, I, I thought I, I've always laughed out loud at that scene because 
I like it's the way that Moore turns around and and kind of says catchy tune like in this kind of like uh, in fact that whole tone of Roger Moore throughout the film amused me. This kind of smart there was a smarminess to Moore in this film. Did you not think so? Like a kind of a, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's Moore. Everyone said it's sarcastic. <laughs> But it was like particularly intense in this film, where it was almost like it was almost like he was he was being meta, like because he, he was overdoing the like in a sense almost like hamming up these one-liners, like that in his tone of voice and everything, his presentation in those scenes was, you know, and I enjoy that. Like I, I guess Octopus is is one I'm more familiar with. I can kind of let go a bit. And just enjoy the enjoy the film, and just be like, "Oh yeah, this is completely racist and sexist in a lot of ways." But it's not like it, wow. it, it's in a, it's it's in a kind of a it's in a kind a kind of a, a a sort of an ignorant kind of harmless like it's it it doesn't cross the line. Do you know what I mean? It's not meant to be insulting to anybody. It's just out of touch, like like an older relative at a wedding trying to talk about things or something like that. It's like it's, oh, it's okay. it, you lo- you yeah. love it despite oh. you love them despite the flaws. Do you know what I mean? Like you you feel fond yeah, of them despite the fact that they've not aged with the time. It doesn't. Yeah, well, it's, we'll not we'll not talk about this particular subject too much. We'll move on to other things. I want to go into things like the music and the theme song and things like that. Um, before we got into the rating, the just finishing up on that. Uh, I, I get your point, Fran, and I I mostly agree. Yeah, there's, there's a target audience in mind, and we have to. We, we do acknowledge that definitely. I don't think you can give things a pass. I think they have to be taken into account where it is. You know insensitive or whatever um, but yeah I, I get what you're saying uh, you have to acknowledge the, the time of the film although we're talking yeah it's the early 80s at this point you know it's not even the 60s anymore but um, we're getting to a stage on, now where it's actually more difficult to excuse things like that based on oh it was of its time because they were actually getting to more we're almost getting to the times that we were born it's kind of it's not it's, it's more difficult to excuse it based on time now I don't yeah, know. I, I I get that. I get. I I do get that. But I do feel that things have changed more than maybe we think from when we were born. Like you know, the 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 mid to the mid eighties was a completely different world to the one we're in now. We're talking about what thirty five, sure. you know, whatever years ago. I mean, it's a it's a very different place, yeah. and yeah. You know, I mean, I, I I don't want it. To what be- what you're saying, Fran, is like it doesn't. You can. Somehow put little things aside that don't they don't bother you. You can acknowledge it, but they don't bother you. Whereas I watch it and I do get a little creeped out by certain things because I get the feeling the writers are and the director is telling me like it's like as if it's written for me, you know. But it's I, I it's not. It's against a lot of we're talking about where it's really crosses the line. Uh, that's what I'm so, talking about. It, it creeps me out because it's, it's well, like yeah. But it's not written for you. It's written for a man in the eighties, not you. So we are going to we are going to respond differently to it because we're going to look at it and go like even me, like I said in the year two thousand, that one line, I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like well, uh, even then, kids, you know? kids, it was for boys. It was young boys, and I, I would have, I was about ten, the same age as you when I first watched it, probably, and and so it can inform how you see things as well when you watch a lot of these films together. And I guess I, I like to believe it can, that you can change your worldview on things. It can inform, like you know. To, I don't know. Maybe I just like to think I'm more strong-minded than that. Like I would form own opinions, but you're right. There's a lot of people who would soak things up 
and they exactly. maybe think that that's you know that's yeah. why it's got you're so got to be so responsible for what you present in media, especially to children. You know, and that's true. why Very ratings true. of films are so important because you could have a film that comments on something that that subtly like an eighteen year old might get that a twelve year old wouldn't. You know, they might get the wrong message from it. So it's so so important to to yep. make Let's, sure what you yeah, say. Aye, let's uh, let's try and kind of focus on a few things before we get to the rating. Um, the music then, John Barry came back for this one. Uh, we spoke about it at the very beginning. We all pretty much, I think, unanimously agree the music is one of the strong points of this film. What, what's yeah. your what's your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, I couldn't complain about the music at all. I mean, I think you know, music's blessedly open to criticism, but also can be completely above certain amounts of criticism as well like it's quite a simple thing it's either good or it's bad really and it felt me, like a huge bad. relief absolutely compared to the last film anyway it was a huge relief to have John Barry but after that disco soundtrack from the previous one it was yeah. just such all the, all of the music made sense the only sort of criticism I'd make would actually be the uh, title music oh yeah i wasn't a fan particularly after because as i as i mentioned at the very start of this that pre-title sequence was incredible the action the my blood was pumping after that and what i wanted immediately after that was a huge living let die but no we got this kind of (laughs) soft ballad and it was it was a it was a huge come down after the excitement of that massive explosion and that well, chase yeah. i mean that the that was the that was the time of like metallica coming out i mean think of the songs or the bands they could have got to do something i mean they could have had an incredible like like energetic sort of thing going on there definitely but did you notice how the they used the motif more effectively later on in the film like instrumentally yes because that piece actually, of music was actually quite uh, nice yeah, I thought that worked really well, yeah. But but it didn't yeah. work for the title sequence. I mean, it was just... But that's the problem with getting, like, a composer to to, to write a song, if you know what Who I mean. Like, 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 was it not John Barry that wrote that? I think it, it was, must have been. I need to double-check. Rita Coolidge that sang it. Yeah, one thing I would say about Rita Coolidge, obviously a great singer, The it's more of a kind of crooning singing style a lot of people maybe are critical of Lulu's Man of the Golden Gun I know um, Sheena Easton's won the last film we discussed for your eyes only sometimes sometimes I think the likes of her and Lulu didn't get the credit they deserved for just how their vocal range is incredible see if you listen to say like for your eyes only or Man of the Golden Gun just isolated so it's just the vocals you would be blown away it's the same as I think a lot of music, if you isolate it, see a lot of John Barry's great music, it's in scenes where there's a lot happening, a lot of action, and there can be some amazing, you know, especially the darker tones. Like, for example, when the helicopter arrived at, at Kamal's place and Bond's out on the kind of track creep between the windows, and there's some amazing music there that you, it, I find you need to listen carefully to enjoy it. And see if you actually listen to the some of the, not only the title songs, but the soundtracks, the scores in isolation. Um, sometimes it can just take on a whole new level. Or just, you know, listen to it through a great stereo. Um, listen, It's like when you listen to your favourite songs in vinyl. But mm. yeah, some some of the Bond music really benefits just listening to the music and concentrating the music away from the film some of the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, the overabundance of the Bond theme I really liked because su- such a fantastic theme and they made it work, especially in the Soviet sort of setting. So that was one of the things I liked about it. I actually got, although of course it came way after it, I got a GoldenEye vibe from quite a lot of this. So it was fun watching it. It's uh, interesting to think what some of the things that GoldenEye took from this film. You know, obviously heavy Soviet presence with, you know, Urumov and GoldenEye. You train and you, Gordon said that was the same setting um, that they actually filmed it in for that the, the train sequence in was it St Petersburg or yeah I was down in yes. England they filmed in your Peterborough is, is it is how they filmed it yeah oh wow and the, I always enjoy the train sequences in Bond films the, the stunt work some of that was incredible for example when Bond and Gobind are fighting out on the roof and then the one of the twins with the knives comes out as well but the stuntmen that did it obviously we're talking really experienced stuntmen here that it's meant to simulate Bond leaping over some pipe, the train going at a fair speed, some kind of pipe which is like just above the roof of the train. The stuntman actually leaps over it, which is incredible. And then there's a bit, just as he kind of appears, as Bond's meant to appear on the roof of the train, right away there's a big, there's a masonry bridge and there's only like a few feet gap. And the stuntman who did that sequence, there was a guy called Paul Weston and he said he had to do it all in the one go. He had to, while the train was moving, he had to jump through a wee hatchway onto the roof. Then he said he timed it in his practice runs. There was about a two or three second gap before the bridge was on him, and he had to duck. Not only did he have to run on the roof of a train, he then had to duck once he was on the roof of the train to avoid getting decapitated. It's, it's just incredible stuff. And he actually ended up involved, I think, mainly because the, the initial guy who did some just mind-blowing stuff. A guy called Martin Grace in loads of Bond films, an, an Irish stuntman, he broke his pelvis. This is You'll see this in the, the making-of documentary. On the scenes where Bond's meant to be hanging off the side of the train, there was a certain bit of the line they hadn't surveyed, and there was some sort of object at the site, some sort of post, and it shattered his pelvis, and he was in hospital for months. And, we, you know, we got to realise it. Oh. it's just a film at the end of the day, and for, for just us to enjoy in the comfort of a cinema at home there's some people that were really risking their lives doing some absolutely crazy well, that's stuff the that's the thing that blows my mind right i guess like is that you've on the one hand you've got such incredible like dedication like breaking your pelvis for one little few seconds scene and then you've got the scenes where it's like Let's just present India as a goddamn circus act. Do you know what I mean? Like in, in, in a street. Do you know what I mean? Like so, you've got this, 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 like two very kind of distinct ideas going on at the same time that completely, you know, go against each other. And and that's again, I mean, that's like like my only frustration with this film. I think is the is is probably like I could I could list a few different scenes or concepts. So love the stunts, love the music, love the story, love the character, the main characters definitely, the writing of the story, all of that kind of thing. On the whole, excellent. Yeah, and I can't believe I forgot to even mention the plane stunts. Gordon, Sorry, when uh, yeah, I was going to say, let's try and talk about quickly some of those stunts. The plane stunt, then Bond hanging onto a plane in midair, and then they do a dive and things like that. <laughs> I mean, it's some tremendous, astonishing. Uh, obviously, I don't know how much is a stunt in a sense of 
They, uh, they, I mean, I don't know if they had a guy in midair or did they do that in a studio? I'm assuming. Yeah, there was a, that part of it. I mean, the close-ups, I think most of the close-ups were done in probably Pinewood yeah. Studios, but there were certain sequences where a special aerial stuntman was holding on to the plane and, you know, yeah. probably hundreds of feet off the ground. It's it's incredible. Could have got yeah. so wrong, but like, but that's the thing, like, I guess that's the frustration. I don't know if, like, all of you kind of get where I'm coming from, where, like, you can have such highs and then that makes the lows even more disappointing in a sense. You're like, oh, this film could have been, like, if you if you just tweaked a couple of little bits of it, it would have been a five star for me, I think. Like, do you know what I mean? Like like you said, the, the, the Tarzan thing, Steve, you know, you've got this tiger sit moment, you've got the Indian bit, you've got the, like, the certain, like, the gorilla suit, there's certain things that, you're like, well, each one of these has taken a bit of a star away, you know, and, and like, you, you, you know, maybe the fact that it, like, we have to kind of, like, retrospectively judge it based on new kind of moral standards, whatever, so that takes a bit off too, but it could have, you know, it's just a shame, really, it's just a shame. I think if, I think if they had that script and those actors today, they probably wouldn't have made those mistakes. No, certainly not. I think it would have uh, been. You know, I mean, imagine that yeah. film re- recut for a twenty twenty audience. It would be incredible, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about that we haven't covered? Have we have we covered Kamal uh, Khan as a villain? Uh, uh, is it? Is it? Would you say he's the main villain? I would say. Yeah. I would think he would. He is the main uh, villain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was really well, good. I think Louis Jordan had a real presence, and I, I, it's just a, a a villainous look. You could say he kind of had the Bond villain tunic on. It it looked uh, like yeah. it was some kind of yes. safari suit. I mean, but, he, he, yeah, you, you wouldn't just say that. He did have it. I'm surprised he doesn't have some sort of like logo saying the Bond villain somewhere on it or uh-huh. somewhere. Like it was so so obvious, wasn't it? Like the uh, Kim like, Jong Un tunic, like it's like yeah. a dictator's tunic. Aye, yeah. it is. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, uh, Kamal Canada real presence about him, and he had some real classic dialogue. Like if you, sometimes you'll see various video compilations of Bond and that, especially that one. He says, "You have a nasty habit of surviving." I, I really enjoyed. I thought yeah. I quite enjoyed Stephen Berkoff as the crazy generals. One thing I loved was the the whole um the good general and the bad general the the rivalry between Gogol and Orlov and it's it's such a good scene when one of Gogol's men shoots Orlov because they realize he's been stealing jewels from the Kremlin and he's he's still trying to complete his mission essentially and like crawling on the railway track and and Gogol just kind of steps over him stares down at him and he's like common thief blah 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 and it's I, I really enjoyed that kind of battle between the two. I think I was also going to briefly, before we went on the rating stage, Steve uh, say um, Robert Brown is M. Um, I thought he was all right. Um, I don't think he had the same presence and no. the same. Um, I don't think he was a bit more kind of friendly than Bernard Lee. But one, th- one really subtle scene which worked well, I thought, was after Bon Metman. I mean, it was great again to see the. It was great set design. We'll give it that as well. The just the the same office with the double padded doors and all that. And when Bond's leaving, he says, "Oh, remember Bond to sign a check for that egg?" And he's like, "Okay, kind of." And there's a slight smile from M as he leaves the room. It's like this again. It's that respect 
he has for Bond. I, quite I, like. think we, I think we should mention as well the pleasure of seeing the minister again, who who has been in so many films now. The sort of old minister who who kind of. You know, only guess of it too late. No, <laughs> I, I think I, I like I like seeing him. Like I, I like the fact that he's he, he seems ever so slightly more confused with each film. Like he's he's so old at this point. He's like, oh yes, Bond, uh, uh, blah blah. You know, um, he he's got is the PM of the Home Secretary, the PM of the PM of my guts for garters. I think that was in the one before. There yeah. was a moment where I thought they were going to do the the sort of thing they did in Moonraker. It's like at the end where we'll just get get 007 on the line and talk and get you know like <coughs> cut to him, and then obviously I think he's ran out of important people for to be on the other end of the phone to him. <laughs> yeah, that, true. I think, yeah, I think there's obviously the, no one left. They'd obviously realised by that point because they'd done that for a few films in a row. They'd thought, well, we know what's going to happen if we we get. James Bond's uh, in the line. It's, we can get important people on the other end of the phone because it's not going to go well. Yeah, they, so they so they pretend he's dead and then they send the robot to go. Like they, they just don't want to take the risk. But yeah, well they like, do I, that actually. But I'll, I won't say what film. <laughs> Essentially, like, send I a did, robot after him. There was the um, what was it the this, the last film where you had that almost carry-on like scene with the Minister M and Q all trying to get Bond on the phone, which I thought I thought was really funny. Um, obviously, it was a bit more... Uh, oh, yeah, and let's not forget, Bond was awarded the, 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 the highest honour of the Soviet Union at the end of the film as well. Awarded the Order of Lenin. I hey, did that. I miss and that? I thought that was a view to kill. Is that, is that not a view to kill? He gets given that, the next no. one. Google opened it up and said, um, we've got the Order of Lenin for Bond here. Um, uh, and they're saying, well, where is he? We need to get that egg back. And that's when they tell Google they think he might have been killed. And then it cuts the queue with the little robot going along, like the wee remote control thing. Oh, yeah, and a view to kill. No, yeah. an octopusy. No. I don't think that happened in this. Uh, I don't, I don't, sorry, I, mate. Um, I think you're yeah. thinking of you talk. Did you watch the film with us? <laughs> Did you watch the right film? film? <laughs> watch, I fucking watched the right film. Watch, watch very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> can you see Fran's screen, guys? I don't oh, think Hang on a minute. I can see a collection of colourful pixels. What's happened here? Oh, fuck. Do you know what I think happened? What? I think the film went over into the next fucking movie. Oh, no, hang on. What? Wait, 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 wait. Hey? I would wait. stay away from these pirates. Are you watching on VHS and someone's recorded over the end of it? No. Right, look. This Good God. Is... Half of what you're saying's probably been related to a view to a kill. No, look. <laughs> look. Octopussy, 1983, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Hey, that is all specific. Yeah. One of our most historic yeah, I never know the in out right. in out thing either. Yeah, yeah, I missed that. <laughs> that was subtle. Like in a clockwork orange, the old in out in out. 
I don't understand what's happened here. <laughs> Is this all new to you, Fran? This bit? You, you, did you not watch this earlier? Yes. What's your favourite song, guys? Yeah, that music is I must terrible. Have, I must have just been getting mixed up because I, I did watch all uh, um, when I downloaded all the Bond films. I watched them all, so maybe I've just had that thought. So I've actually just spoiled a whole section of a future film. <laughs> oh, I'm I'd sure forgotten not, that uh, film. I mean, I'd not seen that. I just <laughs> forgotten it completely. Oh, I love it. You geez, got the film on to prove to us <laughs> that we were right. <laughs> Yeah! Wow! Well, honestly, wow! I, 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 you know, part of this must be self isolation. I think because I'm conflating <laughs> things. I'm conflating things that aren't aren't even real anymore. Like, but, but oh, to, to take oh. my hat off to you to some degree, Fran, you 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 were telling the truth about uh, something that happened to Bond. It just wasn't that particular film. But it does happen. <laughs> he does get. He does get the presented with the order of planning. Oh in man! The future. Oh. I right. didn't realise that um, that Gogol came back after this. I'm pleased. I've, I've 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 kind of put those two films together in my head for some reason at the end. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how that. See if you right. merge. Let, let me just quickly say. See if you merge. It's a crazy idea of you to kill an octopus. You could have won real kind of unbeatable Bond film, maybe, like, put... Well, I'll not go too far, because we'll see that View to Kill, to me, does have certain real strengths, despite the critics, but, but there we go. Okay, yeah. all right, that is very that quickly. Is classic. Very quickly, classic. one last point, unless anyone's got anything else they want to add before we get to the rating. What, what do we think <laughs> um, of Q in action with Bonds and, and joining them in the fray? I loved that scene, in particular as a field agent, that the scene where they were, he obviously took over from VJ. The scene is where they uh, appeared in the hot air balloon with Bond right towards the end. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking and of. He <laughs> had all the girls fawning over him, which was, I mean, that, if they're all fawning over Roger Moore and he's 45, I mean, Q has got to be almost double that, not quite double that. Yeah, but yeah. I think, I think, I think all the girls Q was funny, I thought. Yeah, there was that the bit I, I laughed out loud at the bit where um, Bond was getting out the hot air balloon and Q's said to him, "Don't be so stupid, 007, You know, get back, get back in here, kind of thing." Like, like Q almost has taken on the role as like Bond's dad in a way, <laughs> <laughs> or grandfather. Yeah. Like, like yeah. got, or, I suppose he would be old enough to be his dad. Have to be his dad. <laughs> but you know, there's a there's a, that will pay off later. That's all I'll say. There's a, there's a okay. payoff to all that way, way down the line, actually, because, you know, the Bond continuity is so strange. Is Bond the same person all the way through? There seems to be a a, a developing relationship, you know? Well, anyways, the thing is, the weird thing is, I've been critical of the recent films, not on podcast, really, so maybe this first time it's come up, but um, when Bond in the, the recent films, Spectre and Skyfall, has had all of his friends with him, uh, Q and M, and they're all in the field with him. It's kind of diluted it for me a little. It's been kind of moments where I've not enjoyed it. I prefer Bond as a as a secret agent on his own, uh, naturally. Uh, you know, obviously with maybe the odd assistant, you know, local to the area or something that makes sense. So it, it's sometimes weird when Q is there. This is obviously the first genesis of that that idea when Q's suddenly out with him. It was comedic in a, in a way, so it actually fitted better with this film because I think this film was did not take itself seriously and therefore you can accept 
Q being with him, so I didn't mind that. It was funny. Whereas later in their more serious, gritty films, and it suddenly got Q again with him. I don't. I didn't like it as much. I don't know if I'm. Mm. You agree? Uh, but, uh, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I do. Like, and and I guess I'm like we're going to see this as we go on. I, I I'm going to be a lot more savage with the Daniel Craig Bond films in terms of their missteps than like your these. <laughs> why 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 would you attack one bond over another well it's because um i i almost feel like all the way up to i mean i, I guess your pierce brosnan ones were a bit silly but i think it's the the daniel craig f- films are 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 the ones that are in kind of the modern era i would say and there's no excuses anymore for for laziness of writing because i think we kind of entered a new golden age of cinema in the sense of the quality of of everything went up and social awareness went up so much that you can get re- legitimately irritated with the, with the films if they if they make if they misstep nowadays do you know what i mean from say to the kind of your mid to late 2000s onwards I, d- I don't really go into it looking for a fight with the film depending on where it came from it's more just observation and did it affect my enjoyment and for these there's little moments where it did but let's not not go over it again let's get to the rating unless there's anything else really Andy wants to talk about I'm talking about the quality of writing as well though Um, no I know yeah yeah like every aspect of the film um, films I suppose but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think we've given it a good cov- covering. I, I do. I, I do have to say. I think we're correct to focus on certain things, though. Like I, I think it's it's not to the detriment of the podcast that we focus on certain issues when we're looking okay. at these films. Yeah, that's a fair point. All right then. Uh, okay, who wants to start, Fran? I think you're the the main lead on on Octopussy. So uh, let's hear your final rating for this film. Okay, okay. So for all of all of the negatives that I mentioned, right? So we're talking about your your kind of laziness, the some of the the humor that the attempts at humor that were unrealistic, the kind of da- some of the daft cliches, all those kinds of things. I'm I'm all of those add up to not gonna start off with the film for me. Uh, what's that sound? Someone typing. Is it me typing by any chance? Sorry, sorry. I'm kind of rating up my uh, rating, so I've got it in front of me. All right. Uh, I'll type. I'm quiet. I am bashing my keyboard. Ah, uh, yeah. I could just hear it. I was like, "What is that? Is it what?" Because I wasn't sure if it was water. Almost it sounded weird. But um, yeah. So, so for all those things, I would take a start off. Um, and and it frustrates me because I love the film. I enjoy. Like, I, I really enjoy this film watching it every time it's quite jarring when you really like a film to have such kind of condensed moments that that are that aren't so good that kind of pull you out of it in those moments but i feel it's it's a very strong film uh, uh, in the the franchise so far i feel like it the positives would be the i think generally the writing was pretty tight i think it was uh it had complex characters of all kinds, um, it gave a lot of characters time to do things. Good mix of comedy and seriousness. Fantastic soundtrack, especially with the music around the Soviets. As Stephen Barry was saying, like get to see the Soviet army and and that side of things again. Um, the Cold War, all that sort of thing. General Gogol and the minister being back, people like that. Um, all that stuff would make it a four star. So all of the good stuff gives it the four stars. But I have to take. Like an entire star off of it for the 
for the stuff we basically focused on, the stuff we've talked about, because it's just... And I probably would have rated it that way when, like, in the early 2000s when I saw it as well, because I, I felt very similarly then, to, to be honest. I've, I've kind of felt the same about the film the whole time. But I do love the film on the whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can, there's something to be said for being able to sort of critically review it the way we are doing on a podcast and giving it a star rating for that, but having your own personal bias really bring it up, uh, you know, in, a, in another sense, just like you've been able uh-huh. to say, despite all of these things, I still love it because of personal experience A, B, and C um, that the film reminds me of, which is probably how I would feel about Goldeneye when we come to that. Um, okay. Steve, if you're, are you wanting to write up anything before you were typing up stuff? Are you wanting no, no, to write I've, up something? Um, basically, this, yeah, cool. So for the, for me, this is, it's it's definitely more than a straight down the middle of three. So I'm going three and a half on this one. Um, for me, to be honest, this is a film. It's a film of contrast almost. It's, you know, it started off incredible. Like I said, I love that pre-title sequence. It finished incredible. The big battle between... Um, Kamal's men and the gymnasts and whatnot, but it kind of got, like I said, it got tangled in the middle of the storylines with the the bomb and the the jewelry heist. It kind of got a bit mixed up for me. Similarly, the the characters I thought were great. Bond was great in this. Octopus was fantastic in this. I really enjoyed the villains. They were a bit more low key in this, but I enjoyed them. But as I mentioned, it was written really lazily. There was a lot of stereotypes in there, particularly the some of the casual racism, the sexism. Um, the stereotyped German characters, the American characters we mentioned. So it's kind of great characters, but a lot of laziness in there. Similarly, the music, it works as a score really well throughout the film, but the theme song, again, just brought it away from me. It was it was a bit slow, um, which wouldn't always be too bad, but immediately after that pre-title sequence, it was just such a letdown, if I'm honest. Um, the comedy, I did actually quite enjoy a lot of the one-liners, um, the scripting I thought in this film was actually fantastic um, but it did get a bit ridiculous at times you know, telling the tiger to sit Bond checking his watch <laughs> while he was in the gorilla suit which did kind of make me laugh but I thought that's that's a bit ridiculous so the, I mean the film strayed into the ridiculous quite a lot more so I think than any of the other films but you know you can sit back and still as Fran said enjoy it um, the story wasn't particularly uh, convoluted. It wasn't particularly complicated once you unpick it. Once you kind of sit and think and get a grasp of exactly what's going on, it's, it actually makes sense. You think, actually, that's quite a good... It's actually a really clever idea how everything comes together in the end. So it's it's definitely... It's more than just a three, so I'm going three and a half on this. It was enjoyable, though. It was it was fun, if not a bit ridiculous. <laughs> Gordon? Yeah, again, I want to... You know, talk about just my great love of Roger Moore as Bond, and I thought thought he gave in our top performance, playing to his strengths. Obviously, you know, in the same ways we they play certain films to Craig's strengths, certain films to Connery's strengths. And you look at the thing is as well by this point, Moore kept in his last few films kept hinting I probably won't do another one, and then he came back as as if he was just kind of um, tempted back. But unlike with Connery, like in his last couple, you don't feel like his performance is phoned in. I think Moore's enjoying himself. You can see that he's he's given it everything, and just I like I said, things like I I, I really I thought Octopus is just right up there in terms of the the you know the female cast in these films. There's just a great supporting cast. There's no there's no none of the supporting cast you could say oh they were irritating or they pissed me off or they were out of place. Just great great supporting cast. 
I like the villains. I thought Kamal Khan maybe, you know, I doesn't always get the credit he deserves. As he was a real top Bond villain for me, great dialogue. And I thought as well, which I I, I was saying earlier, the the plot was a bit more down to earth. I liked the idea of Kamal was getting what he needed in that. He, I think he was getting these jewels from the Kremlin that Orlov was arranging for him, and in response to that, he was arranging using Octopussy in an underhand way to achieve what Orlov wanted to that um, bomb going off in the circus, which that's kind of dark in itself. This is a circus full of kids we're talking about. And, you know, <laughs> and think what Bond averted there with literally milliseconds to spare. You know, again, tension, full of tension, great set design. I mean, the bits that, um, and I'm sorry, I don't, have no, I don't even know if I've given it the actual uh, rating in terms of stars. It's a four for me again, so it's the second... Uh, Roger film in a row, I've given a, a four, and where, where it's maybe not a five is just the camp tone can be um, kind of overcooked at times, or maybe like avert humour is maybe more the term I'd, I'd like to use. The, the safari, the let the spot commence, and all that, even for a dark, a sometimes dark Bond villain, you know, I think Kamal was getting a bit silly there. And then the, the way I love the train sequences, but the car just has it's just the right gauge to fit in the railway track, it's driving along the railway track. Bond dresses up as a gorilla, Bond dresses up as a clown, you know, it's kind of, sometimes it's going the wrong direction. And I think I, I, one scene in particular where, although I really loved Moore's acting, when he's with Kamal at the dinner table and he's asking him how he's going to be tortured, he says it in just such a light-hearted way. Like he says, thumb screws or hot coals and all this. And it just it just seems kind of unspy-like in a way. You think of even Connery when he was his darkest and in Goldfinger getting interrogated or in the first couple of films it, the likes of that scene I felt um, Moore wasn't quite the MI, dark MI6 operative but I mean it's, it, again it's fairly minor things and the same as uh, the things I wasn't securing with For Your Eyes Only were minor things so it's, it's a solid 4 it's not a 3.5 it's not a 4.5 it's uh, it's another 4 it's an all time high for Roger Moore no but it's maybe, again maybe one of his best <laughs> So there yeah. you go. Very, very good. I like that finish there, Gordon. That was good. <laughs> very clever. <laughs> uh, myself, I, I, you know, I can take on pretty much and, and, and reiterate more or less what you guys have said. I think the, the tonal shifts don't work as well for me as it did for, say, Fran. The, the, the comedy, the overt humour, as you said, Gordon, that was a good way to put it, didn't work quite so well. The safari stuff, I'll, you know, reiterating the same thing you, you said, you know, telling a tiger to sit and the, the tiger just obediently like, obliges, you know, it's uh, a bit much, you know. Uh, but then at the same time, I really enjoyed the, the, some of the action scenes and where it got ridiculous, there was points, even though it was... Uh, Stereo, there's heavy, heavy stereotyping, and but the actual action scene in India with the car chase and the tuk tuk, I actually quite enjoyed. It, it was, it was, it did make me laugh because it was so absurd. You know, that was where I was with it in a sense, even though I could completely recognise that it was a little, a little much. Uh, you know, the music loved John Barry's theme. Great to having him back. The Soviet feel we spoke about at the beginning of the film, I think, um, and throughout even uh, the the Golden Eye vibe I got from it. Of course, Golden Eye was the film that was probably inspired by that, so it's weird calling it that. I I like that as well, and I like the like we talked we talked about earlier on the podcast, the classic Bond feeling scenes, the backgammon scene, uh, you know, the the au- the auction 
uh, scene as well. You know, the tension that was built from that. I think John Glenn, we've not really spoken about the director much. <laughs> I think he was he was good for that. I think there was um, some a great variety of the different types of tension and action. Uh, and mostly uh, edited well. Screenplay by Richard Maybaum and, and Michael G. Wilson and George MacDonald Fraser, that's, we've not really spoken about them, I think is is fine, but at points does let it down with the sort of casual you know, racism and all that. We have covered it. A couple of scenes that I felt were like, there was like the tightness of it didn't quite work, where it was like Bond in his like circus outfit, um, the sort of knife guy's costume and he, he's running looking for a lift and then these girls stop by and they're about to let him in the car and they're like ushering him in ah, come on and he's like running up to him and then they just drive off and like kind of nah 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 I kind of feeling that it was just like is that really necessary that we need that I mean it wasn't particularly funny it was just a bit like sad <laughs> it was just things yeah, like that it was just like uh, <laughs> yeah it was like old man you know left behind by young people it was like <laughs> What's the film? What's the film trying to do here? You know, like I just, uh, <laughs> I think it lost it a bit. Its tightness wasn't quite right. That could have been easily cut. Um, so oh, that's man, the sort yeah. of scene that usually appears as a deleted scene in the the extras. Yeah. But I think as well, the yeah. other point I was going to say about the realism it was more like the end game of the villain was really. If you look at General Orlov, it, it wasn't to start World War Three, but it was to to remove the defences on the I think it was the West German border of the NATO forces to look and make it look as if uh, the Americans had let off an explosive by mistake. So uh, it was just to kind of, as part of his overall end game to make Russia more of a force again. It wasn't a doomsday plot, and you you got to applaud Octopussy for that. And and before I, and it just yeah, and the plot. I was, you know, I think Fran condensed it for me after the film, which maybe says a little about the film, but it might be uh, more rewarding on multiple viewings now that I'm a bit more clued in. When I'm, I usually watch them after these podcasts when I watch the commentaries and things like that. So I think I might have more of an enjoyment from that. And I think it is an easy watch for, um, you know, put your brain in the floor type film. This isn't a film that challenges your intellect or anything like that. It's not asking you to, it's a tongue in cheek silly Bond film um, but the humour doesn't always work and also Octopussy as a character I really liked I think Maud Adams is great I think even better than she is in The Man with the Golden Gun I actually like I said before I almost wish you know the story works the way it is but part of me seeing her as a villain made me really want her to be a villain makes me really want a Bond villain like that as a female because Let's face it, that we haven't really had that. But it was good. And the multiple villain thing as well, uh, you know, was interesting. Maybe it meant that the Orlov wasn't really fleshed out. I don't really feel like they've got Bond got a lot of time with him, I don't think. But Can, I like. Yeah, I think he was he was like a classic kind of Bond villain. Maybe not as memorable as, say, your Goldfingers and things like that. I don't think he's quite in there. But he was still a, a decent villain. And yeah, so overall, I I enjoyed the film and had misgivings and sort of little issues with it. When I come to rate it, I am toying between a 3 and a 3.5. I actually do think of sitting at a 3, just straight down the middle as a 3. It's one of those films where maybe multiple viewings, it might go up. But right now, compared to what we've given 3.5s and things like that, I think it's sitting for me at a 3. So that's where I rate Octopussy. So... Uh, fours, three point fives, and a three. Uh, so 
not bad at all for Octopussy. Considering uh, it is rated uh, lower, uh, if you look at sort of like uh-huh. just called up some of the um, the critics and public opinion, it's it is one of the lower ranked films. It made it made a decent amount, you know, one hundred eighty something million, I think, from its twenty seven million, uh, twenty seven point five million budget and a box office success, one hundred eighty seven point five. So it was still a huge success, but it is seen as one of the least. Or lower, lower ranked films, I would say, isn't it? Yeah, is that fair well, to say. I, I probably would have rated it maybe a three or a three and a half if I hadn't seen it so many times and been fond of it. I think the fact that I knew the plot really well helped. I think Gordon's yeah. t- touched upon that before with some of the previous films that maybe I've rated lower than he did. Um, where where Gordon, you knew the plot of the film really well, and and you had that kind of familiarity. So I do think that that. Um, Maybe that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that I think that's part of the reason I've given it a four is just holding it and this having this fondness. Yeah, if you think of all the things that contributes to your score, um, there's little percentage, and I think after you've got you know writing, screenplay, editing, uh, performances, one of those percentages is just your own bias, your own personal experience that is a it might even weight it even more you know i think you just have to take that into account as long as you're aware of it i think that's perfectly fine that's where i'm excited to do the um like to do and i think it might be an idea to do like one year later star trek one year later bond cast like where we've seen the films you know what I mean? like, are you saying watch kind of like... every single one again and just another <laughs> you could, uh, has anyone got one of, remember the device point. that do you know say, what say, I, say, remember the men in black remember sorry had that little device could reset your memory can is something well, about I mean, could just, use to... yeah I don't know if that would work because essentially we just have the exact same podcast because none of us would remember what we said and it would just be like, <laughs> be like who are you what podcast yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I reckon it would be an interesting idea. Say we're all still in lockdown, we did some sort of James Bond challenge where we tried to watch all of the films and and podcast them in a world record period of time or something like that. Like, well, unfortunately, that is like the Empire team. Two of those guys did that over a day and a day. I think it was two days straight. They just watched every film back to back. They said it nearly killed them. They said by the time they got to the end of the Moore films, they were almost pulling their hair out. And they still had to go the like just sit and watch and bond back to back. Because I, I don't know about you, but my attention goes after watching two films back to back. Like you start yep. to get a bit fidgety. You're sitting in the same position. Uh you start to get a bit angsty. So imagine watching all of Connery's films, like six films, plus you're obviously are on Her Majesty's in there as well. And then starting the Moore films, seven films of that to go, and it, it would be like a weird thing. It'd be a, you're watching some of these great films, but at the same time, it really would ruin them for you. I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking over the course of like twenty five days or whatever, like where we just did. One well, I think let's just uh, let's just stick to the project as it is just now, but I will keep it in mind uh, a retro <laughs> a review of a of a review. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the ranking episodes, you might be wanting to go back to some of them anyway to, to kind of refresh your mind before we actually, so when we finally rank the films, you know. I suppose there might be revisions be... then, because yeah. some of them will be more familiar at that point. Yeah, like, yeah. That, talking about Doctor No at that point is going to be like, what what the hell was that film again? Yeah. 
Anyways, uh, yeah, we've really, uh, really dug into this one deep. We're nearly gonna. This is gonna be like a two-hour podcast. I'm really gonna have to find ways to cut this down. Uh, so if uh, yeah, I'll have to heavily edit this one unless we want a two-hour podcast. We'll see. But uh, yeah, this has been been good stuff. Uh, I think you know we're we're we're. I can't believe it, guys. <laughs> we are close to the end of the Roger Moore era. One more film to go. We we're over the halfway mark. This is pretty yeah. incredible. I know, I know, and all all it took was a world-ending apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is interesting that in slightly ironic Bond fashion. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 I yeah. mean, I I just you know, I'm I'm wondering if there's someone out there right now, like with a tunic on, who's who's behind all this. You know, they've they've got. If I see someone with the Bond villain tunic, I'm going to be asking them some serious questions. You know. I'm going to be like, hang on, are, are you behind this? You know, but yeah. um, it is an interesting time um, to be doing this. I think, I don't know, I, th- I think in a way, it, it almost, like people listening to podcasts and watching movies is more important right now because of, because of the fact that we're also bored out of our minds. But I think also doing something like this, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I feel like. Yeah, that's why we're yeah. going to start pushing it out there, Gordon. We're working with Gordon. We're going to start trying to actually publish it now and go with trying to get it on iTunes and things like that. And uh, instead of just having it on one, uh, SoundCloud and not really pushing it out there. So, yep, that's going to be happening soon, isn't it, Gordon? Yeah, pl- plans. Uh, our plans for world domination are getting there, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's, yep. What's interesting is that a lot of the world are actually communicating with each other like this now, more more so now than ever. And it's almost like uh, the podcast is doubling up, isn't it? Because it's a way for us to do this, but it's also, in a sense, we're we're taking part in what everyone is doing in the sense that we're seeing each other's faces, we're able to talk to each other. Do you know what I mean? There's a there's an element of friendship that obviously quite a, a large element of friendship there in the sense that. It's got two purposes for us right now because God knows when we're all going to be able to see each other again. I think we should uh, end it on that very nice note. 